Good evening and welcome to the Happy Room Podcast. I'm your host, Augustine. Tonight, I am joined by Dr. Mark Deline Johnson, who is a family and marriage therapist. And because I've known Dr. Johnson for a long time, you'll hear me refer to her as Marky, but have no doubt she is very well degreed. Dr. Johnson, Marky, welcome to the Happy Room. Thank you so much for having me, Augustine. I'm happy to be here in the Happy Room. And I'm so excited to have this conversation with you because you and I had connected a few months ago based on a post that you had on Instagram. And I just really thought it would be perfect for you to be on this show for your work. You as a marriage and family therapist, um, you deal with women's issues, I'm sure. Correct. Some, Yes, absolutely. So the people you work with, are they predominantly women, men, or couples? Who are your clients usually? Predominantly, I see women. Not intentionally, but I do believe women are more willing to tap into their thoughts, their feelings, and be willing to talk to someone. So um, much of my work involves individuals. Definitely, there's been work with marriages and families. I would say majority of my work has been mostly with um, individuals and families. Tell us about what's the difference between family counseling and family therapy, because I would think that would be the same thing, but it's not. Uh, Some people do use it interchangeably. However, there are some differences Uh, with family therapy or with therapy, psychotherapy. There are different terms you'll hear to describe therapy. Therapy in itself, the goal is to help individuals better understand who they are, better understand their behaviors, better figure out how to address certain issues within themselves, within their lives, so that they can uh, resolve or become more whole. Whereas counseling, typically counselors are working on one specific issue. You resolve or you quote unquote fix that issue and you move on with your life. Whereas therapy, it embraces all aspects of you and understands that it's not just that one issue you're presenting with that needs to be addressed. There are other aspects that contribute to that if indeed that really is the issue. So the beauty thing, the beautiful thing about therapy is that it really looks at the person as a whole rather than one particular issue, resolve it and move on. I think that this distinction is important because I honestly have never known that. We've talked a lot on this show about relationships and we've talked about reasons for things and the reasons we behave certain ways. But what I would like for us to do tonight is to really dig deep Um, based on the work that you do. In March, I saw that you shared a post on your Instagram account at The Silent Mark, which prompted me to want to ask you to join me on the show. And the post read as follows. Note to self, marriage does not heal our deep-seated issues. If anything, marriage magnifies our unresolved issues. With the right spouse, we can acknowledge and address those past issues collectively and take the steps towards healing If we are willing to do the work, healing will come. I really thought that was like, whoa, not only are we saying that the healing is necessary, it's also about the self. It's not just saying, well, your spouse is wrong because he did this or she did this. It's also about taking, looking at it collectively as a couple and as a family, but also relating it back to the person. Absolutely. Um, And that was so deep to me because I read so much in that. And you and I had a discussion after that. 
And I was like, girl, you really need to be on this show. And I'm so glad that you've decided to join me tonight. And I hope the discussion that we have tonight and what comes out of this is something that people can really truly use to either continue the healing that they've already started on or just begin. Tell me what prompted you to post that. So my husband and I typically have conversations and then I have a couple of lady friends who are married and I have conversations with them and two of us have been married about the same number of years. I've been married seven years and one of them's been married just about 10 years. And we recognize different emotions, different thoughts, different feelings that have surfaced from our childhood. Um, I do want to say all of us are also non-Americans, right? And I, so some of the topics we end up talking about has a lot to do with our culture and just some of the damaging effects it left on us and having to now be married in some of those insecurities, some of those challenges surfacing in our marriage and recognizing as much as we love our husbands, our husbands don't have the power to fix it. However, if we're willing to be vulnerable, be honest, and be transparent about those different topics, because sometimes they can be very embarrassing. At least I can speak for myself. They can be embarrassing. And so recognizing that while I love my husband and he wants nothing but the best for me, he doesn't have the power to heal me. But the great thing with my husband, I can say that, is he's willing to hear me out. He's willing to find out what he can do, whether that means just giving me a moment away from the house, um, just talking, allowing me to cry. So that's one of the things that really prompted it is just conversations with my husband in a recent conversation with a couple of my lady friends who just really helped me recognize, you know, marriage is not a panacea. It's not a fix. <laughs> it's not a fix all. It's not a bandaid. It really starts to bubble up things that we thought we were okay with or had, you know, gotten past. And now it's time to face them and be willing to face them and work on them. So that's, that's really where that all came from. For me, as I said to you before, I started thinking about family and societal factors that impact our relationships. And I was started thinking about shame being one of the reasons a lot of women don't share out their feelings. They're not vulnerable with partners. Um, because as children, we're set up to be so shameful about so many aspects of who we are, just developmentally who we are as women or young women. Do you think people put enough emphasis or realize how our upbringings impact our romantic and platonic relationships? That's a really good question. And I, I would like to believe, yes, people put some emphasis on that or they recognize the power it does have in those relationships but honestly speaking I don't think we we focus enough attention on that I don't think we recognize the amount of us our childhood us comes into play into those uh relationships we have as adults young adults older adults people who are in relationships who are married I would even venture to say if we pay attention if we took the time to pay attention to the pattern of friendships how we behave in those friendships, how we feel in those friendships. I wonder how much of those behaviors represent some of our childhood behaviors and or experiences. 
talk to us about how these issues that we all carry with us into relationships, how they impact our long-term committed relationships like marriages if we don't work on them. At a human level, we all desire connection. We all desire connectivity. And in having healthy connections, there has to be an ability to trust people, to trust friends, to trust parents, to trust the partner you're in relationship with. And I truly believe many of us don't trust at the level we, one, believe we trust uh, or desire to trust. And so I think one of the issues that people often come into relationships with or with uh, into marriages with is a lack of trust. Many of us go into marriages already with a certain level of trust there, but then having to commit a certain aspect of who you are, whether it be your emotions, your finances, certain insecurities, challenges at work. There are different everyday situations in life that impact us and we don't always feel comfortable sharing it with other people or sharing it with our partner because we don't necessarily know if they have our best interest at heart. And so I believe a lot of the deep-seated issues people come into relationships with, come into marriages with, have to do with trust. I'm that therapist who believes a lot of our background, unspoken experiences show up in those relationships, show show up in marriages because marriage requires us to be vulnerable at a certain level. When I hear you talk about trust, we in general, people um, may not show up to the relationship fully trusting of the other person or fully trusting, or we may have trust for them, but it's compartmentalized, right? Correct. I trust you to be able to do this, but I may not necessarily trust you with my deepest emotions. I may not trust you with to be vulnerable enough our environments naturally shape us. And so when we're hearing certain things said to us, when we find that we're being treated a certain way, I don't think we always remember those behaviors or those words that were spoken to us as we get older and as we go into relationships, again, whether it's a friendship or a romantic relationship, I think naturally what we've been accustomed to hearing creates a particular way of just being, right? And so if I'm in a relation, if if my childhood, I constantly saw men treat women in a disrespectful way, I may go into a relationship. I don't, I don't necessarily see that man treating me that way, but I may be more, more receptive or more willing to allow someone to disrespect me, not because I think less than myself, but it's just what I've been accustomed to seeing. And that's why I find therapy to be so beautiful because sometimes those behaviors we're demonstrating day in and day out, we don't really recognize where they're coming from, why they're there. But with that work, you know, one-on-one with a therapist or even group therapy, you start to recognize where certain things, certain thoughts, certain values, certain belief systems, where they're stemming from. But again, that's the, that's you taking the time to do the work, right? I think for women, and I want to sort of segue into speaking about women specifically, we do have things in society and families and life that create a lack of trust. My belief is 
the experience of a woman is wrapped so much in shame. You know, we have, we don't have much, much of a spectrum for women, I believe. It's like black or white. You are the Madonna or you are the whore. And there's no in between. And we don't give women space to fully realize their whole being as people, right? Whether it's sexual, sensual, emotional, physical, you know, we judge women on their appearance. You're too fat, you're too skinny. If you think you're perfect, <laughs> then you may not be perfect enough. A man will cheat on you if you don't do this for him. If you submit to a man, it's just so many messages out there, all wrapped in shame for women. That's my thinking. <laughs> mm-hmm. But again, I'm a lay person. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I do believe that women, we have so much to offer. Um, and a lot of times we don't always know how to show up. We don't always know how we will be received. And it's that issue of trust. Can I trust you to allow me to experience life however it comes? Can I trust you to still love me if I no longer look the way I used to look? Can I trust you if I tell you about my past decisions in prior relationships? There's so many things that come up in relationships that men, some men, can get away with, yet women have to deal with the embarrassment, with the shame for being who they were or learning themselves as they matured into who they are or are becoming. Um, Shame is a real thing. Shame is a challenge for many people for different reasons, depending on your moral values, your religious beliefs, your political views. There are so many different, uh, different pieces that contribute to our idea of who we should present ourselves as. And if we don't, how that makes me feel. You know, and we've talked about this where being raised as a Haitian woman or a Haitian girl and also being raised Catholic, for me, I felt there was so much shame wrapped on like mundane things. Mm -hmm. And as I was growing up, everything was like shameful. Oh my God, I like someone. That was a source of shame. Like just a normal thing of like being attracted to a person, not even doing anything with them. Mm -hmm. But I think so many of us think that we are a unicorn in a space where we actually are very much alike. And we don't see that because of all the shame and blame that goes on with being a woman, regardless of where you come from and regardless of your religious beliefs. Sometimes we impose shame on people when we don't like or don't know how to deal with a particular person when they take a certain position right and so I hear you I heard you talking about just the natural process of hormones developing being a human and finding someone else attractive and made to feel that something's wrong with you that you're doing something that's inappropriate and therefore I need to tell you that the most extreme thing is going to happen to you because you had this thought or you had this feeling Mm-hmm. that's intense. And we have to wonder what type of seed is being planted. Cause I, I, I find it hard to believe you're the only one who's gone through this. I know I have, <laughs> I've gone through that feeling like something's wrong with me because I think a guy is attractive, but yet again, going back to that idea of culture and age, watching the boys around me, they were free to do whatever they could, whatever they wanted to. And there was no 
reprimand. There was no mm-hmm. insult. There was no tearing them down because they had an interest in a in, in a girl. Mm-hmm. It was and normal. We really, it, it was normal, you know. Yeah. So, so we have to wonder where our shame is coming from, and that's that's why I love the topic of healing because so many of us are struggling with certain areas within our lives that stem from what a particular culture told us or what a particular religion or political party told us. And so now we're battling with whether or not we should act on that thing we are feeling or thinking because it's going to go against who we believe or who we've been told we are. I think, you know, talking about society and part political parties and all of these things makes me also think about where we are currently in our country. Up until recently, it felt like women at least have the right to do with their bodies what they choose to do with their bodies, how, whatever that choice happens to be. And I've known women who had to make a very difficult choice to do what they wanted, which was not carry a child to full term. I feel like these are some of the things that women do carry into their relationships because how many women are willing to open up and say, I had this difficult choice that I had to make, you know, Mm -hmm. and they may be carrying this into a marriage, but they've never shared it with anyone. And Mm -hmm. now we're traumatizing women and we're re-traumatizing women by saying that, no, you do not have the choice to do with your body what you want to do with it. Do you have a story idea that you'd love to hear on The Happy Room? Or you'd love to be a guest on the podcast? I would love to have you. Send me a DM if you're interested at The Real Happy Room on Instagram, or you can contact me on Twitter at The Happy Room Pod. Before, when we spoke, I said to you that though I support a woman's right to choose, I personally would never get an abortion. And then I thought about it and no one wakes up thinking that they want or would get an abortion. Correct. I mean, it's not, it's an incredibly traumatizing and agonizing choice to make. And, you know, in thinking about it, I recognize that and I knew that before. And I had to say to myself, but who, who wakes up and says... I think I will have an abortion when I get older, you know, Mm -hmm. or I want to be put in that situation. And Mm -hmm. so it's not really a, a choice really in the sense that is a premeditated thought process. Right. Um, And truth be told, I feel incredibly blessed that I've never had to make that choice. Mm -hmm. So I've never had to really know what it's like. Right. I can say I can empathize with someone And I can say, oh, yeah, I would never do this. But really, if I think about it, and if I were to be put in a position, I don't know what my outcome would be. You know what I mean? Um, Because we can say we we believe in certain things and we but everything is tested right when you get in that moment. And it is an incredible blessing not to be even to have that moment where you have to make that choice. So. I wanted to get your thoughts on what it's like for women to have to make that choice. Oh, I, I, yeah, it's, it, it's not an easy choice. Um, I, I can at least say for myself, it was not an easy choice. You don't grow up thinking, you know what? 
I know that I'm going to be in this relationship and it's going to be great and we're not going to have any difficulties. And this is a person that I want to be with. Um, and then if we happen to have a family or if we choose to get married, that's just what it's going to be. But, you know, we hear people say all the time, never say never. But the thought of abortion sometimes isn't even a thought that comes to women's minds. And so when they're presented with this experience where they become pregnant and they recognize maybe it's the time in their life where they're not prepared or maybe they never wanted children or maybe the the relationship is not going down the path that they intended for it to go or they had foreseen. And so now they're stuck with this decision to make. You know, it's a crossroad. Do I keep this child? If I keep this child, what is that going to look like for my life? What is that going to look like for my family? What is that going to look like for my career, for my education, financially? There's so many different pieces that come into play when we're thinking about, oh, here I am, I'm pregnant. What should I do? And so when you get to that place where you feel like it's either I keep this pregnancy or I terminate it, there is anxiety, there is confusion, there is discomfort, there is embarrassment, there is shame, especially if your support system viewed you as, the, as this person who maybe had particular standards and you would have never found yourself pregnant or they never considered you becoming pregnant, right? And so you feel like you have to make a decision. This is not the case for everyone, I can honestly say that. However, for many women who've had abortions, they can tell you they felt like they had no other option but to terminate that pregnancy. And I can say that for myself. In that moment, there was no other decision for me to make but to terminate that pregnancy because I could not fathom my life with this man <laughs> that I'd become pregnant with. I, I, I could not fathom myself continuing a relationship with him or becoming a single mother. Mm -hmm. that, was, that was just not an option for me. Some people would say, well, if you didn't want to have a baby by this person, or if you didn't see that this was the person for you, then you should have never had sex, right? That could be a mindset. And what would you say to somebody who has that mindset or that thought? They're absolutely correct. <laughs> They're absolutely correct. If I didn't think that I would hate my job, then maybe you should have never applied for it. If I knew that I'd get addicted, then I would have never tried, you know, just had fun at a party and tried, name the drug, right? There are so many things we could say, well, had you known, you should not have done that. But the reality is, as human beings, we, we make mistakes, we try out things, we grow. The minute we experience something, we start thinking, oh man, I probably shouldn't have done that. You know, so there's no, there's really no saying what you think or know a person should or should not have done, but to automatically assume, well, you deserve it because you did it. Mm. I, I think, I, I think we lose value in the reality of humanness. Mm -hmm. There are so many things that we've done in life and if it had gone to the extreme, we probably would have felt immediate regret. Many people have tried or, or have had sex and didn't get pregnant. Many people have drank alcohol and did not become addicted to alcohol. So 
many people have sped in their vehicles and did not run into another vehicle or run into a wall or, you know, do something that becomes a lasting or a damaging lasting effect. So I accept that people have that thought, but I just leave it there because Mm -hmm. until you're in the shoes, you don't know what it's like. I think that's a, I think that's a really important point that you've made that we generally go through life thinking things are great and things are going to be good and the choices we make are going to work out. And it's not until like we're faced with the reality of certain things that we realize, oh, wait a minute, this is not what we thought. And that's very human. Very human. And in the time, the times that we're living in today, it seems like we forget how human we are. And there's this immediate reaction to cut people off, but it's, minimizes the experiential part of us as human beings. We're going to try things and we're going to make mistakes. Some are more severe than others, but nonetheless, we are going to make mistakes, (laughs) you know, and some mistakes we can live with, we can keep it, we can cope with it. And some we're, we're not able to do so. For a lot of women, it's like real, right? Because we're taught that we have to be a particular way to be loved. I think when it comes to talking about the issue of terminating a pregnancy, it seems to be so many shames gathered into one. Would you agree or what are your thoughts? It's multifaceted. Being a woman, I think naturally there are a lot of pressures that are put on us to keep ourselves up, to look a certain way, to have and maintain certain responsibilities for our man to be happy in order for him not to commit infidelity. There are certain things we have to do. And if he did it, there must've been something we did wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, If your child is looks or is behaving a certain way, there's just so many pressures that are put on women. Again, it's hard to know where a woman is when they make that decision for an abortion. And I, I wholeheartedly believe in taking the time, be it the topic of abortion or anything, take the time to actually communicate with people, get to understand who they are, where they're coming from, so that you can get a better picture of where they were and why they made certain decisions. I know the topic of Roe versus Wade is heavy and so in, in the media right now, but I, I want to make clear. So Roe versus Wade was a case back in 1973 that the United States Supreme Court passed giving women the liberty to make the decision to have an abortion if they decided they did not want to carry their pregnancy full term. Prior to that particular case, there was a time in the United States where uh, abortion was criminalized. And so fast forward to Roe versus Wade, it, it brought us to a place where women now had a voice. They could make that decision for whatever the reason is, right? And so for us to be in this space now where women have to basically allow the government to make the decision for them on whether or not they want to carry their pregnancy to full term is a very challenging place to be in right now. So 
and, and this is not me coming from a pro-life or pro-choice position. I do believe many women have had the privilege, and I call it a privilege because it's a right, mm -hmm. the privilege to terminate their pregnancy. So I'll say this, my study for, for my doctorate program, my study was specifically on the topic of abortion, abortion secrets and how it impacts people's lives or women's lives when they maintain that, that secret. So whether a woman chooses to keep the, the pregnancy or choose to abort the, 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 uh, the pregnancy, there's still emotions that they have to deal with. And one of the things that I discovered was once, once you become pregnant, you can never go back to how you were whether you embrace the idea of an abortion or you embrace the idea of having having the baby full term it's something that you ha now have to live with for the rest of your life and so now to be in a place where you no longer even have that decision my biggest concern is because we're we are the type of people who will get what we want at whatever cost I fear that women will go to extreme measures to terminate pregnancies and we're going to end up seeing a, a backlash. We're going to end up seeing injuries. We're going to end up seeing increase in death and women going to um, extreme measures to make sure they terminate their pregnancy. So it, it, it's it's a lot. This, this, this place, this climate that we're in, it's a lot to talk about. It's a lot to consider. Um, but I, I really do think that women are now going to have to deal with another element of shame um, if if they are made to feel that they don't have the right to make that decision. As you were speaking, my thought was like, this is like going to be so traumatizing for so many women. And it's also going to be triggering for so many women. And how do you think those things will show up or based on your experience, how have these things shown up for women later on? So in my experience in working with women who've had abortions, there's, there are a lot of emotions that show up. There's shame, there's guilt, there's embarrassment, there's um, the fear of judgment. So many, a lot of women end up keeping their abortion secret because they don't want to have to deal with how people view them. So I think if we, if indeed Roe v. Wade ends up being reversed, I believe we're going to have a lot of women faced facing uh, depression um, or symptoms of depression, facing anxiety, or maybe even facing relationships, marriages that are marriages that are that may be struggling because they're now having to keep something they didn't think was necessary in the moment. And that's not to say that just because you had the opportunity to have an abortion, that it's an end all be all and you're happy. That's not always the case. A lot of studies have shown that women psychologically, mentally, physically have, have an aftermath to deal with because of that choice of an abortion. So there's no telling, there's no telling what we're gonna see if this indeed does go through Based on the work that you, you did for your doctorate, what, what were some of your findings in that work? But what was the experience for these women? Can you share some of that? Sure, I can. So some of the women, all of the women talked about the torment they experienced with having to keep their abortion secret. So some of them wanted the abortion. Well, I'll say this. When someone gets an abortion, it's not always because they just don't want the baby. Some of them, it's just untimely they want a child in the future. It's just not right now. Um, some people 
have no plans to have a child some people just just think it's it's just not the right time and so um a lot of the women who i had the privilege of interviewing found that the idea of being judged that was one of the biggest themes was the idea of being judged the fear of how people would view them, believing that an abortion didn't really match up to their personality or their character. And so they felt mm -hmm. like they needed to push back um, this experience so that they can continue maintaining those relationships and or progress in their life, whether it be education, uh, their career. And so the abortion helped them to eliminate a, a, a challenge they no longer had to face once completed a lot of the women talked about feeling uh, guilty because they ended up having the abortion and it wasn't something they particular, particularly wanted to do or believed in. However, it just seemed like in that particular situation, the circumstance um, suggested they needed to go through with an abortion so that they can maintain safe face, maintain their, their life, maintain relationships. Um, women talked about their religious beliefs growing up in Christian households or growing up in other um, uh, religious beliefs that did not support the idea of having an abortion. You said that women suffer from anxiety and depression after terminating pregnancies. What are some of those associated behaviors? Like, what does that look like? Because we may know what the words mean, but do we recognize the symptoms or do we recognize the behaviors of somebody struggling? Here's what I will tell you, because there's no one answer to that question. All of our responses, reactions to our abortion looks different. Some exhibit the anxiety, the shame, the inability to control where they were at the time. Some of it looks like rebellion. Some of it looks like promiscuity. Some of it looks like isolation, depression, or symptoms of depression where some people just stay in their rooms and they have no desire to interact with others. Or even the anniversary of the abortion or anniversary of when that child possibly would have been born, maybe the month, um, it becomes a very dark period for them it can look very different depending on the woman. And then there's seasons where you they seem like they're just fine. And then 10, 12 years later, they're feeling the impact of it. Maybe because they're in a more mature place where they're wanting to now be in a relation, more serious relationship and get married, want to have children, or maybe have made attempts to have children and they're challenged with different hormonal issues, reproductive issues that hinders their ability to go towards that goal. And so now they're having to think about this opportunity. They had to have a child, but they chose to terminate the pregnancy. So it, it's really hard to say what it would look like for one person. Um, but I would definitely say there are many different, it, it can look very different depending on the woman in the season of their life. Did any of these women ultimately share their experience with their families? And if so, did they share with you what the outcome of that was? A couple of the participants in my study actually were sent to the abortion clinic by their parents. And I thought that was pretty fascinating to see that a parent would take that position and have their child have an abortion for whatever reason. 
what's interesting is whether they chose to have the abortion voluntarily or their parent have them had them um, have the abortion, they all experienced these same emotions, the same struggles. How were, how were their relationships with their families? Do you know what the ultimate impact was? Yes. For most of them, they talked about feeling angry toward um, the parent who had them have the abortion, um, pretending that nothing happened. So one particular participant talked about how um, her mother had her have the abortion and keep the secret from her father. Hmm. And so the father, she was, she was a, a daddy's girl. And so she was very close to the father and to keep that secret from her caused her to become enraged or keep the secret from her father caused her to become enraged. And so she really had a disdain for her mother um, because she felt like that decision, one, she didn't have a choice in the matter, but also the father didn't have an opportunity to see, and this is how she, she described it, to see her have a child and be a loving grandfather towards her child because she recognized how much her father loved her that he would not have judged her. But the mother made that decision on her behalf. So she struggled. She struggled quite a bit well into her adult years. Even after getting married and having children, she still had struggles with her mother because of that until she came to a place of being able to forgive her mother. So a place of healing ultimately. Mm -hmm. A place of healing for sure even though the women talked about healing and being in a better place now that they've, you know, faced the reality of their decision, faced the challenges, the aftermath of their decision, almost all of them still became emotional through the process of the, the, the research. To me, that speaks volumes on the impact of the, the lingering impact of an abortion. So while, so while we can be healed from the process of abortion, I do believe there's still some challenges that we have to work through as we heal. The Happy Room now has its very own website. Visit us online at thehappyroompod.com. For a woman who is struggling and needs to, or recognizes that they need to heal from this because it's impacting their lives in a multitude of ways, what can a woman do? First, give themselves grace. Embrace the fact that the choice they made would not have been made had their circumstances been different, right? And know that that one decision at that one time in your life, it does not define who you are. And that's something I had to come to recognize. This one decision I made, no matter how people see me, if they were to know or now that they know, it does not define me. That's one. Two, I definitely encourage support, outside support, be it therapy, be it post-abortion groups. That's something I had to, I had come to to know and I decided to join a post-abortion group. And that changed my whole view of, of myself. It helped me understand all past relation, romantic relationships I had. It helped me look at how I'm loved by God and by the people around me. It really helped shift my idea of who I was because I made this one decision. So I definitely encourage support. I encourage therapy. 
I encourage um, support groups. I encourage post-abortion classes. I definitely encourage young women to connect with at least one person who they trust enough to allow them to cry, to talk about their experience. What can friends and family do to support women who have had the terminator pregnancy? Assuming that the family members are aware, right? Mm -hmm. Because many women don't share. And that was the profound piece. That was the profound ongoing theme that I discovered in my research was that these women, as much as they love their family members, their friends, and knew their family members and friends supported them, it was just extremely difficult for them to bring themselves to that place. Again, the topic of abortion is very weighty. And it's just sometimes women don't get to that place until decades later. And so if a woman finally musters up the courage, the boldness to share that information with a loved one, with a family member, I would say that family member probably should just sit back, allow them to share how, however much they're willing to share. It may just be a sentence. It may be a whole dissertation. We don't know. Just give them the freedom, the room to share. I would also encourage the family member or the loved one to let them know they're here for them. And if they want to talk about it more, they're there for them because that's where it starts. There's no need to point fingers. There's no need to say, well, you should have fill in the blank because that young lady, by the time she gets the courage to come to you and say that, she'd been battling for a while. The healing does not just take a month. Maybe it can for some, I don't know. But for many women, it takes years. It takes decades. And, you know, that makes me think of the fact that you've shared your situation with us. And I know when you shared it, I felt like, wow, this is actually very powerful and profound because, as you said, it takes an incredible amount of strength to be able to live in your truth and, you know, rebuke the shame that people place on a person for a choice. And so because you and I are having this conversation, I want to also acknowledge the fact that the amount of strength that you have in being able to share and being able to support women who have gone through similar a similar situation or a similar journey. I'm, I'm in awe of how wonderful and how vulnerable and just how powerful that is and how freeing that is to be able to communicate this and also to support people who need the support. Yes, freeing is definitely the word. It took me a long time to get to this place. New to college, I was within my first year of college and I I could not imagine, (laughs) I just could not imagine sharing that information with my family. They, they had such high regard for me. They had so much hope for me. I was the first born. I was the first uh, American, Haitian American born in the United States. You know, you leave your country, you come here, you have children and you work so hard for them to be here. And then this is what you turn around and do. No, I'm not doing that to my family. That that's what I thought. I could not do this to my family. And so 
as I finally got to the place where I was willing to heal, and that was over a decade later, post-abortion, I started recognizing how many more women this was actually happening to. And when I say to, I'm not making as if somebody did it to them, but how many women were actually, who have actually experienced abortions are and are struggling internally and have no outlet. That's a dangerous place to be. And then to take that into a relationship, that's challenging. And so I, I just have a heart for women naturally, and, and this is what's been given to me. <laughs> and I'm here. I'm here for it. Girl, you are a queen, let me just say. <laughs> I'm glad you think so. <laughs> I definitely do. I definitely do. Thank you. It's like, yeah, because I think, I mean, you're doing amazing work. You really are. And especially also being Haitian and growing up in a very strict household. You know, even in thinking about it, when I was saying, I don't think I'd ever make that decision, or I, I know I would never make that decision. It also comes from that idea of like, I mean, Haitian daughters have to be like the models of perfection. Oh yeah, we're um, perfect. <laughs> we are, we have to be. It, and that's the crazy thing. Like growing up, it was, we, you didn't date. That was, you couldn't you bring a boyfriend home, shameful. Then all of a sudden you need to, you need to be married and have kids and then take care of, it's like, wait, you all skipped <laughs> many steps. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I think that's just amazing. So Kudos, Marky. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> Not that you need them from me, but I just want to like express that because I really truly feel that that you know also like you know we've talked about this recently too, like how we don't necessarily and we and just people in general, maybe just myself, I'm speaking for myself, express you know certain emotions or certain feelings just because. I did have a very strict background, and like your feelings didn't really matter as much as you doing the right things that made your family look a certain way or you're presenting the very best of, you know, your family's hopes because they didn't come here for you to just be doing whatever you, they came here for very specific reasons for a better life. And so therefore you need to do these very specific things. And any one mistake would be like completely destroying this dream and all of the hard work that families you know, your, your immigrant families came here for and mm -hmm. sacrificed. And so it became more of like, well, my feelings don't matter as much as the things that I need to do to uphold this legacy. Yes. Yes. That that's what it looking back. That's what it was. That's what it appears to have been, you know, and over the the years, our parents have evolved. At least I can speak for both my mother and my father. They've grown, they've matured emotionally in different ways. They, you know, we can hold conversations now that I know there is absolutely no way <laughs> I would have been able to even broach certain ideas or certain topics with my parents because it, mm -mm, it would have been prohibited. What can be done to strengthen relationships with our children? So that when they are going through things, we can be supportive parents or if it's siblings, how can we be supportive siblings? How can we strengthen our friendships to help support people even before they're in a certain situation that now that they have to reel from? I'd say being a listening ear, being a ongoing support, I'd say 
helping that person know they're not alone. You may not understand what it's like to be in their circumstance, their situation. Um, however, you're there with them, however they desire to use you, right? I would encourage uh, the loved ones, the support system to also just be willing to let them go through whatever emotions they're going to go through. There may be anger. There may be um, moments of, you know, feeling down on themselves, the, the woman feeling down on, on herself. Um, just honestly, I'll go back to listening ear, be willing to be a listening ear, be a shoulder to cry on and, and let that person know that you're not judging them. That That's one of the biggest things for the women that I've spoken with is feeling judged or anticipating the judgment so they reserve the right to share that information. Mm, needing a safe space. Correct. So for people who are looking at it, the world and seeing, you know, all of these things taking place and it feels scary, from a therapist's standpoint, what can we do? Remain hopeful. I have no other way to live life but remain hopeful. Even when things look scary they look hopeless if we're living day to day and we lose sight of our hope I don't know I don't want to know what that looks like that's that's scary to me I I just encourage people to find hope in themselves find hope in their families find hope in the lives they're living so that even though the world is telling us or this country is telling us who we are or who we should be or why we should be maintain your hope and find faith in something that is greater than yourself. That's what I would say. Stay connected and share the happy room. Follow on Instagram at the real happy room and visit us on Twitter at the happy room pod. See you online.